This is episode number five on Natalie Schlieger. She shares with us her experience with bipolar and childhood trauma as well as other mental and chronic illnesses. And I'm your host, Stephen Daff, on Real People Honest Talks by Pave More to Media, paving the way towards positive mental health. A fair warning, topics may include triggering contents regarding mental health, such as talks about depression, self-harm or even suicide. To start off with, will you let us know a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'm Natalie. I'm 22. I'm originally from America, but right now I live in Germany. And I'm a newlywed, like I tell everyone. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not working or studying right now, but I'm looking into going into social work or midwifery or something like that. That's really interesting. So you're wanting to give back to people as well. Yeah, I mean, since I was a kid, all I've wanted to do is give back. And I've done a lot of like charity things. And because of my experiences, I want to give back and help others. That's always wonderful. So to dive in a little bit deeper, will you let us know what it was that you had to overcome or currently overcoming? So as a child, um, I have suspected autism. For girls, it's very hard to get a diagnosis, and a lot of the times girls will mask their symptoms. And so girls are, I don't know how to explain it 100%, but a lot of girls don't get diagnosed or they have to wait a long time. And then I had a lot of telltale signs, and I still do, like with sensory things and with eye contact, at times it's super difficult, and other signs. And so because of that, as a kid, I was often targeted by bullies and just offenders. And there was a lot of trauma in my childhood. And I kind of went through all of that alone because I didn't have very supportive parents. I mean, they were there, but they weren't there like in what ways I needed them. Mm -hmm. And so I would say for like the first 12 years of my life or 14 I kind of just went through everything alone and had to deal with trauma and all sorts of stuff and then when I was 10 I was diagnosed with migraines after doctors thought I had a brain tumor I had such yeah I had such bad headaches and they didn't know and now I think the migraines which I still get to this day I think were caused by that trauma And now Mm -hmm. I deal with multiple mental illnesses and also multiple chronic illnesses. Wow, this is really (laughs) tough. Yeah, it's uh, exhausting. To be be going through it by yourself, that that must be one hell of a journey. So I'm glad there's great things happening to you. Like you've had such like a life-changing event. Yeah. All right, recently happened. But because those are really complex and those are really challenging, what coping mechanisms or strategies did you adopt or develop throughout time? Well, the one I do the most is writing. And as a kid, I did many things to cope, like play chess or dance, act, write. And many of those things I gave up. And I want to get back to them now, but I gave them up because they were just too painful because I only associated them with bad times and writing. I gave up that for a while, but during one of my most traumatic times, I remember I was 
writing. I wrote like a 300 page book when I was like 10 years old. Wow. That was how I coped because I coped that that summer, one of the worst of my life. So I wrote and I did a play, watched the Olympics all the time. And so mm-hmm. I kind of just writing, I would say, is my main thing. Watching sports also is another. And I really love funny things. Like, I've always been a funny mm-hmm. friend. And I mean, that's how I've gotten through it is mainly just being positive. And mm-hmm. just like that positivity and that humor, I try not to take everything too seriously. Mm-hmm. So that's also helped me a lot. Oh, I see. So a lot of like external things has had a massive impact on yeah. and maintaining also, yourself. Yeah, I do take medication as well for okay. uh, bipolar disorder, which I'm stable from because of medication. But mm-hmm. I take that and that's helped with the bipolar and the psychosis that it brought. So it's mm-hmm. also coping. And to cope a few years ago, I went to treatment for anorexia and that was life-saving so I've had like also things in like the medical therapeutic aspect of coping but a lot of them I've also done on my own will you let us know about your experience with professional help because you just you just said that you you've you've done it yourself um most of the time so yeah I would like to know your experience with that yeah so I, my whole life, I was showing signs of things like anxiety, autism that my parents just never were able to identify. And when I was 11, I went to a new school and I was bullied pretty badly there. And my mom took me to therapy and it took me three years in therapy with that therapist to actually open up. Yeah. And it wasn't even because of something When I opened up, it wasn't on my own terms either because my sister had gone to my mom and kept telling her things and was concerned. And I think my mom was like, okay, I'll bring it up. And then that just opened the floodgates. And I finally told my therapist. And then shortly after I was medicated and that, I mean, I was put on an antidepressant and that made me manic because I have bipolar like I said. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes the an antidepressant sometimes can really screw that up. And so that's how I got the diagnosis. And I stopped seeing that therapist tried again, it didn't work out. And it was like eight years after or eight and a half after I saw that first one where I found a therapist I really like. So with actually talking with these professionals, you somehow managed to establish for yourself that, look, I need a difference in approach to your healing. Yeah. So that's really interesting because I've also had a previous speaker who has bipolar and they really, they really like emphasized on staying on the medication because if not, they started to step out of their reality and become become manic. So uh, for me, it's really interesting because I'm the type of person that um, I I took the initiative to come off of medication because I didn't like what it was doing to my body. But I guess in that context that 
to maintain your stability, you've got to have these medications. I know that these medications were created to assist us. Yeah. Yeah, I really feel like it depends on the person. In the past, I when I would get really depressed because how my cycles go are I'm usually normal and then I get like way high, I get that mania and then mm-hmm. I crash into like that depression and then it just kind of spirals from there and so I'm pretty much stable right now but I remember once I was getting manic and I said oh I'm doing good I don't need this medication and Mm -hmm. so I went off and I because I used to have to take medication at school so I'd have to go to the nurse at school and take it and I was really close with her but at that manic phase I thought I'm invincible I'm not going to take this And so every day for over a month, I would pretend like I took it. And just when I opened up to her later on, when my parents found out I wasn't taking my meds, seeing how devastated she was, was really what made it for me where I'm like, I got to, I have to do what I have to do. And so like to anyone listening, go like, it really depends on who you are and how your body reacts because the side effects I will have to say are not pleasant a lot Mm -hmm. of the times. And it's made me kind of worse with my eating disorder at times because of some of the side effects, but Mm -hmm. I mean, people, everyone's different. So with meds, like if it helps, if it doesn't, then you just have to see. That's a really useful tool. Thank you. Because yeah, there's people out there that still don't know what sort of treatment that they need. So I think it's risky uh, using pharmaceuticals because like you said, the the side effects could be really awful. And I guess it's down to preference. And the only person that knows as best is ourselves. And so if it works, it works. You mentioned a little bit about your relationship with your family and the fact that they couldn't particularly give you the support that you needed at the time what does your support system look like um, in regards to people around in your life so when I'm from like I said America and when I was Mm -hmm. there it was basically the opposite of what I have here So in America, I was often like isolated, I was bullied, I didn't really have that supportive, like family, that constant support that I needed. And Mm -hmm. like, ever since I moved to be with my husband, his family's really great. Um, I've met friends from all over the world in my German classes. And so I would say offline, it's definitely here, I have like a lot of people who care about me here and I've never really felt honestly loved until I came here Mm -hmm. and so coming here was really great and I have a few people I still talk to from over there but being here is like a lot better and then I of course have lots of friends online that I can rely on that's wonderful it's good that you have the mixture of both because it's important to know that just because we don't have someone physically in front of us that can support us doesn't mean that there's not people out there they can't physically see that will yeah. be able to help you out, right? Yeah, I mean, I met my husband online. So mm-hmm. we were on Instagram just talking and everything. And so we've been together almost six years. Wow. 
So we met online. So, I mean, it's brought me a lot of great things having online friends. Mm -hmm. And majority of the time, the selected people that you have online will definitely have more sympathy and empathy towards your journey because they may have had to go through that too. And the power of the internet is really so powerful. I mean, we wouldn't be here right now having this conversation if it wasn't for it. Oh, sorry. Uh, With that, I just wanted to mention, though, that sometimes having friends online, especially in, say, if you have a mental health account, in the mental health community can sometimes it doesn't end well Mm. because if you want to maintain online friendships to anyone listening you have to realize that you have to put yourself first and sometimes if you're both struggling at the same time it's very harmful and also sometimes i i had a case where i was friends with someone and she was suffering a lot and she didn't she refused to get help i had tried to help her and everything and she just became honestly obsessive and so i was the one she was relying on but at the same time i was going through all these major life changes and she of course was messaging me sometimes up to like 50 times in like 2 mm-hmm. hours like really bad so i just like want everyone to know that there has to be boundaries online and that mm-hmm. you do come first. Like if that person is saying that all this stuff, like they're suffering and everything, that's true. But you have to remember too, you're trying to recover or you're also trying to be okay. And so mm-hmm. you can't, cause I used to take on everybody's negativity. So it used to harm me a lot. And then with her, I realized I come first and I need to do what I need to do for me. So I would say having friends online has its ups and downs, mainly ups for me, but I just wanted to warn people because it can get a bit tricky. Mm -hmm. It's really important that you've mentioned that because some people don't have boundaries and knowing where yours are could really help you out in these situations because as much as you want to help this person, you're not always properly equipped to be a great support for them. And that's okay. And that's that's absolutely okay. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's a very, very good reminder because these things can definitely happen. You've already given us a few tips for the listeners in regards to for people that have not established the way of being able to maintain the mental wellness what would your advice be to them so i wrote this down too is honestly in a lot of cases a hundred percent true because Mm -hmm. i was i remember being four years old and just already depressed and not knowing what the point was and feeling like it would never get better and sure it's taken a lot of time but i'm so happy and I'm so glad that I've been able to make it this far and so a lot of people don't see any like reason to keep going of course like and I just want them to know that it will get better and maybe it's not like you get married or something maybe it's just something small because I also think that there's beauty in everything And that's what's gotten me through like a lot of things as well is even in my darkest days, I've looked out the window and I see a bird or a flower Mm -hmm. that I haven't seen before. And I think, okay, those things are beautiful and life is beautiful. There's always something positive out there. So you just have to 
try to find it. Like you have to push through that darkness to find the light, if you get what I mean. Yes. Yes. It's it's oftentimes that we feel stuck whenever it dawns on us, you know, it's so easy to feel like does this is it. Yeah. Like, this is this is the line and it's not. It isn't. It's not. Like the harder the challenge, the better the reward in the end. Exactly. Because yeah. it's it's a great it's a great balance because without these hardships we wouldn't quite understand or define what good means within our lives. Yeah. yeah. So. And also of course like with that sometimes like you have to ask for help and I need to listen to that because mm-hmm. since I grew up alone and isolated being independent is something that I just do. And so I never ask for help because like, for example, I have chronic pain Mm -hmm. and there will be times where my husband notices that I'm in distress or something. And he's always like, I can help you. You just need to open up. It's not that easy for me. Mm -hmm. I feel like also people should feel free to reach out to a friend. I wanted to point this out for people Uh, with eating disorders this was my case that a lot of people wait until they're ready for recovery or to get help and spoiler no one is ever ready a (laughs) hundred percent because i was i mean i've struggled with anorexia on and off since 2009 when i was around Mm -hmm. 10 or 11 and that whole time i was just like oh i mean sure i might need help but am i ready no it's not bad enough no and i mean I should have gotten help sooner. So with that, like with eating disorders and things in general, you shouldn't wait until you're ready because that day may never come. Like going straight into recovery is what really helped me. You highlighted such a great point there. Like there's no time where you just decide that, oh, it's time. It's time to get better. (laughs) That's powerful. And I honestly, it wasn't even my own motivation to go to treatment. I mean, before I went to treatment, I was physically declining very badly due to the eating disorder. Mm. And the the main reason I got help was because honestly, a therapist or a doctor, I can't remember who told me that I would die if I kept going with the eating disorder. And I thought, I want a future. I want a life. This isn't worth it. And so then I got help. But like I said, I wish that I would have gotten help before that. And not have been like, oh, I need to wait till I'm ready. Because that's just not really a possibility. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you acted upon yourself when you felt like the urge to. Because that sense of urgency of, I want a future, that's like the pinnacle of your recovery. That You want to see yourself have a wonderful life. Yeah. And that's so important. That's so, so important. How does it feel speaking about your struggles now so it's kind of interesting because I can't really put one emotion or word to that Mm -hmm. it's all sorts of things because I do have like a, a health account on Instagram that I share on and there I'm pretty much open about everything and on other things I just don't really talk about it but I mean I had periods of time where, like in the beginning, uh, when I was just diagnosed with bipolar at age 14 or 15, I was telling everybody. Like, it was weird Mm -hmm. because, like, that weight had been lifted off my chest and I had finally 
found out that I was depressed and that I had mania and it was valid. And so I told, I remember telling like everybody, which honestly wasn't very helpful in a lot of ways because then I was isolated even more. But now Mm -hmm. I know like how to talk about it and how to raise awareness. And sometimes it's scary, like honestly, just sharing all these personal things, but it's really rewarding because I've, I've helped people. And that's honestly why I do it. A lot of people think, oh, you just want attention or whatever. One of my sister's friends even told my sister that I just want attention one time. And I said, no, I don't want attention for me. I want attention for these illnesses. Mm So because, I mean, people die from mental and physical illnesses and people struggle a lot. And I don't want anyone to go through that or to think that, they're weird or that they're not normal or I just don't want people to feel alone but at the same time I also feel like I have to talk about it so sometimes I feel like I can't stop talking because there's such a big part of me that wants to help all the time and that's part of the stigma that we're trying to break there are certain parts of society which knows about it but don't feel like they could slot it in in a conversation when it's needed and that's so important that we speak about these things because even though as much of us claim to have a normal life in one way at some point we will experience some form of mental health no matter what shape that comes into and so normalizing these conversations making it as normal as oh how's your leg you know like as simple and as straightforward as that to hear really how are you and just to and just not be judged for it or have someone be hesitant like hesitant to sharing that because it really matters it's crazy how many people we lose yeah we we have a pandemic But we also have had this war for so long of not being able to speak up when we have to speak up and when things are hard. And honestly, I've been so surprised by how few negative reactions I've gotten. I feel like a lot of people Mm -hmm. are always scared to speak up because they'll feel like they're judged or, I mean, there's also all of the stigma attached and I've rarely felt that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and also in my family on both sides, there's a lot of mental illness. I mean, on my mom's side, almost everyone has issues with eating. And on Mm -hmm. my dad's side, I don't even know my dad's side because he had a traumatic childhood and he shut everybody out. I see. So in the family, it's common. And I feel like more people need to realize that it's so many of us go through it. And Mm -hmm. even though it's like a big deal. It when it comes to the subject matter and everything, it's not a big deal to talk about it. And we have to talk about it to make it normal. And Mm -hmm. people will be surprised by how others react to it. A lot of the times they're supportive and Mm -hmm. they don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Precisely, precisely. So more in time, the more that we keep doing what we do to normalize these conversations, not to say that it's a normal thing to have, to yeah. have mental health but speaking to normalize the speaking because there's so many of us that you say like 
isolate ourselves because don't feel like someone will understand majority of the time someone can someone yeah. can listen out and know and be familiar as to where you're coming from so definitely definitely I think yeah. it's a worthy worthy subject and I mean also just with like speaking out about it so people can see the signs mm -hmm. because I remember when I was uh 12 I went to school with a girl who was pretty popular she was kind of like the it girl at school everybody wanted right. to be like her and I mean one time I heard that she was throwing up in the bathroom and people were making fun of her because it looked like she was making herself do it and mm -hmm. I mean, she very obviously showed signs of an eating disorder. And back then, I was struggling with one, but not like hers. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to talk about that, too, because people need to know signs. Because in mm -hmm. other people, it could be really bad. But you may just excuse it as like, oh, they're just weird. Or, oh, this person just wants to lose weight or whatever. It's mm -hmm. just like we need to also talk about it so others know what to look out for. Yeah, highlighting these, especially having these really authentic conversations with different people from different backgrounds. We, as a collective, the ones that have gone through mental health and can speak about it, can say what it is that's coming up and what are the things that we do or the thought process that we have before we start spiraling down. And that's why I believe the, these sort of conversations that we're having now is really important. Yep, exactly. So before my last question, Natalie, where can we find you on social media? Uh, okay, so I have two Instagrams I'd say I'd use. One is personal and one is health. But I think since this is a mental health related uh, podcast, I could share that. Um, so it's kind of hard to spell, but it's, uh, I think it's endonatriosis because I have endometriosis. And so I just mm. replaced the meat part with that. <laughs> Yeah, I see what you mean about twisting the humor there. Great, I'll I'll drop it into the description anyway, so yeah. people just be able to follow you. Yeah, thanks. I mean, on there I post everything from updates on my physical health to mental health, and I make a lot of memes about mm -hmm. usually my physical health, but also my mental health, and that's kind of how I post on there. So sure, sure. So my last question for you, okay. Natalie, is if you met your younger self, what would you say to them? <laughs> oh, so I had a very interesting moment on the bus on my way uh, to my honeymoon. My husband and I took a bus together to Munich, which is an hour and a half from here. And while I was looking like the fields in Germany and everything is just gorgeous. And I just imagined running around in these fields with my inner child. It was like an mm -hmm. interesting moment. And so, I mean, if I could tell my inner child anything, it would be that I'll be okay and that it will end. Because, I mean, the trauma, I would say, lasted mainly from ages 4 to 12 with a few other things after. But, I mean, it was pretty much almost all the time something new. And so I would want that inner child at four, at 10 or whatever, to know that it will be okay in the future. That's the main thing and that she is loved too. 
and that she will feel like she is loved in the future. Wonderful, wonderful. That's all totally right. That is so yeah. totally right. And she deserves all of those wonderful things. Right. I really enjoyed the conversation yes, today, I Natalie. Did too. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time despite yeah, your busy you schedule. Yeah, thank you so much for interviewing me. I was honored that you asked me to do this. So I'm very happy to talk to you.